Hello, everyone. I just wanted to give you a quick word before you start the newest episode of Chomping After Dark. Uh, me, Shay, I accidentally recorded with the wrong mic on the episode, unfortunately. So there is going to be some dips in quality of certain audio points. But for the most part, I will do my best to edit it and make it sound good. I'm actually re-recording a lot of my own parts um, where I can, and the parts where I can't, I'm just going to leave as is. And that that's where you may see a little bit of a dip in quality. Unfortunately, I want to apologize to each and every one of you uh, well in advance. I, I am very sorry I made that mistake. It seems I make that mistake at least three or four times a year. And uh, I was due for that mistake. But without further ado, um, I hope you enjoy the episode. I'm very, very excited to uh, debut this. We absolutely love this game. So here we go. Welcome to another episode of Chomping After Dark. This episode is going to be a little bit different as it's going to be part two to Ickenfell, the game that we talked about last episode. We decided to break it up into two halves, partially due to the long nature of my script. I went a little bit overboard and also due to the fact that when we were recording part one, it was very, very late. So... It's a little bit different this week, but uh, hopefully you enjoy this format just for this one time only. Uh, let's get to some quick introductions, not waste any time. Very quick introductions here. We've got Rich Meister joining me today. Rich, how are you doing, buddy? Uh, okay. <laughs> That's very encouraging. Very, very encouraging. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm here. And, I showed up you know, like you asked. Thank you. And it's better that you're here than unlike the Four Seasons, which is where Joshua Fowler is at today. Josh, how is it over there at Four Seasons? There's no affiliation with the hotel. I, I, I legally have to say that. Because you had to pretend like you did it on purpose? But, That's uh, fair. Yeah, it, That's it's, fair. Going, it's going well here. Well, everything's very nice. The weather's perfect. That, that's why... That's why I decided to be here. It's not, not because Because I thought I was calling the other four seasons. No, this was. (laughs) Oh, there's a nice, there's a nice garage door behind you. I know, right? It's perfect, perfect for for setting up. Yeah, any any sort of, you know, event you might want. Hey, garage doors make everything better. I think that's a saying. It's something, but I'm Shay Layton. I'm the host today, and we are going to get right into it. Here we go. So where we left off, just as a reminder for both us here and for you, the listeners, it, they so the crew had basically 
witnessed a memory shard where, where Safina had told uh, Professor Ima, I was trying to remember how to pronounce her name, Professor Ima, that she thinks that Headmistress Aildra is betraying all the students and the staff at Ickenfell. And she wanted two days as proof, or to bring proof to Ima. And the the core crew had found Safina's big invention, which was the prism heart. And that's where we left off. So let's get into that. As they navigate through the tower, they learn of the origins of the game's universe. I'm going to glance over it as I think this section is more fun to experience than to listen to. They make it to the top and are attacked by a massive star called Twinkle, who ate Aima. After being defeated, Twinkle releases Aima. After Z wakes up, Aima tells the crew that Z painted the creature into their universe. Aima tells the crew that the prism heart allowed Safina to see things as they are and things that were hidden in plain sight. Z says there is a way to unlock it, but Z doesn't know how. Aima also thinks that Safina found something out about the Summerstone, a massive stone with unknown powers in Ickenfell. They rest in the tower and plan to head out the next day. Before they all sleep, Marit Petronella and Rook talk about how Pratesia has had a grudge for them for a long time and how she doesn't like them. Marit empathizes with Pratesia. Ima asks how she's getting on with the rest of the crew and she says she thinks that they don't like her. Ima calms her and then asks to look at her to see if the spell is holding up. I think that now is a good point to talk about the pacing i like how each segment of discussion in the game moves the story along both in answering a little bit more about the mystery also opening new questions and building towards more character development how did you guys feel about the pacing of the story um either one of you can answer the question first and feel free to jump in at any point um at, at this point i was definitely comfortable with the pacing I feel like towards the end, the pacing lost me a little bit and got a little bit rocky in spots. But right right here, I, I I do like those little segments where they sort of dump some information on you more so because it feels like a natural resting point for what the characters are actually doing. Like, whenever they sort of have a chance to catch their breath, you're, you're given a little bit more context via these personal conversations, which I think works more often than it doesn't. 
yeah 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 um we mentioned before how it kind of once you kind of have a a different perspective on safina's um motivations going in that it kind of turns into this mystery sort of a, a feeling um and i feel like like rich was saying a lot of the time you get this new information which kind of gets people to open up about one thing or another uh and it just it works really really well um it feels natural which games struggle with a lot of making these sort of info dumps feel like they're naturally occurring mm-hmm. yeah and i i think they did a good job with uh yeah with, with pacing those out so you you're you're curious throughout um like rich was saying near the end yeah. you, you've kind of pieced a lot of it together so there's just there's less new info that you're getting from each of them um about like the main characters um you start getting more more stuff about kind of the overall story um as as you kind of go into the uh, the last little bits uh which which works to you know kind of give the motivation to you know go into things but uh yeah, I really like these kind of earlier ones where you're just getting so much, um, you know, more character, more personality of out of out of every character. Whenever any new conversation happens, I just I love that. I I, I feel very similarly to you guys. Uh, at the beginning of this game, I was pretty harsh on it, and I was impatient with the game, and I kind of regret that. Um, because I remember when we first started talking about it on the Chomp Cast, I was pretty vocal about not really thinking the story was anything other than and as the story went on with not just the character development but the pacing was so well done that it completely changed my opinion and um i kind of regret not being as patient as i could have been with the beginning of the game because the pacing is very well done in this game um um I don't have much to add to what you guys said. Uh, th those segments are so well done. And what I like is by the time you've pretty much figured out this and you, most of the stories or questions have been answered at that point, it's pretty much about character development and the character development that happens at the end is incredibly rewarding. So the, the story's pacing itself may kind of jitter a little bit at the end, end but i feel like that's necessary for the payoff and the reward of the characters at the end personally we'll leave it there i think we've answered the question let's move on to the next segment the next morning they go to the great hall they find another memory crystal where they see safina and rook replacing a painting and they witness rook and safina become romantically linked they come across another memory crystal where they see a performer, Salia Snow, perform for the students. They also learn that Rook is non-binary. The crystal contains a memory from the following year after the first performance where they learn that Salia Snow is retired. Through the Great Hall, they enter the Spirit Oval and find another memory crystal. They see Safina going to Petronella, who is crying after being yelled at by a professor. After consoling her, Safina asks Petronella for help with some experimental magic. 
After getting through the spirit oval, they find the summer stone in the center courtyard. They go to touch the stone, as students who have touched it claim to have been calmed, but are stopped by Eben and Bax. Bax goes to stop them, but Gilda ambushes them, claiming that she's the strongest mage. After the crew fight Eben, Bax, and Gilda, Bax reveals that the Dark Fold, an ancient dark power, is trapped inside of the Summerstone. When people touch the stone, it induces good feelings, and that's how the spell sustains itself as the Dark Fold is constantly fighting to get out. Headmistress Aeldra sent for the coven to help as Safina was trying to destroy the Summerstone. After Pertesia talks about Safina's selfish goals, Marit figures out how to activate the Prism Heart. She kisses it and reveals that the Summerstone has already been destroyed. A memory crystal appears and the crew watches it. They witness Safina breaking the Summerstone. Bax takes charge, putting Ima in charge of the group and heading to find the headmistress. That huge reveal, while expected, kind of knocked me off of my feet a little bit. What did you guys think at that moment? What what was kind of going through your head about where the story was going to go next, the mystery, why this was happening? Well, I... Obviously, a lot of... You're starting to realize at this point that you've, like, purposely been fed a lot of -of out-of-context imagery to sort of, like, give you misinformation. Um... I didn't think yet it was going to be as simple as like the headmistress is the bad quote unquote bad guy. Just because I didn't think the bait and switch would be that simple. It would be a little too stupid. And this game had thus far shown itself to be way smarter than that. Um, So I wasn't really sure 100% where we were going. I was thinking at this point, okay, we're getting to that point uh, where Bax and, uh, and Oxley realize that, Oh, we're actually trying to do the same thing. Are we the baddies? Yeah, 100%. Are we the baddies? Uh, like, but I, I, I knew I, I was very confident at this point, and obviously we'll see how that pans out, that it was not going to be a simple bait and switch. Like, it was obvious to me that the writers of this game are smarter than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at, at this point, yeah, kind of like Rich's, what, what was saying, you... You're trying to figure out who the big bad is going to be. And, and like, at this point, I'm thinking, okay, we know Safina already succeeded. So what, what, how does that recontextualize what we've already seen and, and why? Like, and was what she was doing even wrong? Yeah, there are so many questions that it already being destroyed raises because you've kind of been told what that should mean. And it doesn't. Not everything's adding not up. Happening. Not yeah. everything's adding up. Um, like it still seems like she was probably in the wrong here, but it's really hard to tell at this point. At the very and least, just... Miss. But like that's just it. Like you said, probably in the wrong. But you kind of have a strong indication at this point. Like at worst, she's misguided. Yeah, yeah. Like you've been given enough context to know that she thought. She was helping at this point. She always thinks she's acting in the best interest of the school. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's the case remains to be seen. Yeah, and I was, I was. I think that's consistent. Yeah, no, I, just, I, I had I to see where I was going from this point. That. Yeah, at this point, I, I was exactly where you guys were at. I was like, okay, I 
we've been flip flip flopping back and forth between is Eldra the bad guy or is Safina the bad guy? But we still don't we we didn't know up until this point how Bax and Eben fit into the equation. Now we do. They were basically the hired muscle, quote unquote. But mm-hmm. they're sticking around. So they're now are they gonna somehow detectives. Well, were they going to somehow become the the great bad guys? And then there's still the question of the Dark Fold. Is that going to end up being the main bad guy? There are all there are all these different players coming into effect. And something I kind of glossed over here is Marie at this point is kind of just beside herself, learning that her sister is causing all this problem, all these problems. Is she going to somehow? snap or there's just yeah at this point the writing is so well done it, the the all the mysteries are kind of splayed out before you and it's like i it could be anybody at this point it really is a whodunit at this point going forward yeah but who was it was it the denver broncos defense no, because that's always missing <laughs> <laughs> that was so droll Oh my god, football talk. I don't watch football. Let's move on. I don't know how on. we got that in here. Let's move on. <laughs> we don't we don't know. You know. No. We don't know. But okay. Yeah, let's Okay. Gilda is offered to join the crew, but she doesn't want to because she is tired of everyone kissing Safina's butt. Aima talks her into joining. Marit leaves the party, being in shock at Safina's actions. Marit inside of her head, releases her powers, no longer wanting the burden of having them. Eben runs after Bax. The crew catches up with Bax, who can't get to the headmistress because her magic is too powerful. They go to the groundskeeper's house, where he has a key to get into the roost. After navigating through the roost and getting to the top, they encounter the child of Rava, a crow. They ask the crow to deliver the message to the coven about the situation at Ickenfell. The crow offers to take them to the forest ruins to help them better understand the Dark Fold. The forest ruins are revealed to have been the original location of Ickenfell. So the game takes the player to many different locations in the school, which coincides with the development of the story. Rich, do you feel... Like the constant progression of locations as to the intrigue of the story, or is it more tedious? I think it's it's definitely beneficial to the intrigue of the story because like shifting locations, this is not a big map by any stretch. You're kind of just learning a little bit more about this world as you like ex- when you start you know by exploring that town outside of the school, which is very small, and then just exploring the different buildings. And then finally going here to these ruins sort of just gives you like a, a more of a perspective on the history of this place. Uh, more so post this boss fight where you get another big info dump about what went down here exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm kind of with Rich on like I liked seeing where it was going um, because of the small map feel of it because it it's it's kind of like overwhelming. it's kind of like uh a link to the past where you have the whole map from the beginning, but you can't get everywhere. So you, you see these places and like throughout the rest of the game, you're thinking to yourself, like anytime you go to the map to try to figure out where you're going, like, what's this thing over there? I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. Like, yeah. What's going to bring me over there. Mm-hmm. 
And so you, you kind of have that motivation whenever you go to a new location. Like, okay, so that's that's what that thing was over there. You can kind of see the general shape of it, but it's, you know, it's on a map. Like, there's there's just very limited information. And that section especially is, like, one of the more intriguing ones because it's clearly not a part of the school grounds. And it's, like, apart from, again, that very tiny village, it's, like, the only other section of the map. It's, like, this isn't a part of the school, and it's off in the corner somewhere. So, like, what's the context for this place? Yeah, and it's so close to where you start that, like, it's one of the first places you kind of look at, like, hmm, what's yeah. what's go- going on over here? Um, I was, I was, I, this is, this is one of my favorite as far as, like, finally getting to a location on the map that I just, you know, was satisfied to kind of finally understand what it was i you know hearing you guys talk about that i didn't i didn't really think about it until just now i really kind of miss that about games where they kind of put everything in your face and they're like you'll figure it out story goes along or as you unlock more of what's happening in the game i don't know why but there's a great satisfaction to that let me tell you about this game called breath of the wild (laughs) oh please um i i really like that about a lot of the older games a lot of older games would do that to you and i think that's part of the reason why i've <clears throat> excuse me always enjoyed the elder scrolls and fallout games of the 360 and xbox one one generation is that or the past two generations i guess i could say is because they give you this massive map and you can go the whole map if you really want to you can even go in some of these places but they're not going to mean anything to you until you get certain missions or you explore certain aspects of the story like they can put it all there but you, but you're like how Without is this context, relevant it's meaningless to you yeah it's just another building or another set of ruins right and by putting by putting it in your face you want to know the context it's intriguing and yeah. a mystery always yeah is. yeah and i think this game does that so well. Definitely in all aspects of the game, when it introduces any kind of mystery, it capitalizes on it so well, and it really makes you want to explore it further. Uh, uh, it's not uh, its not like you feel like you have to. You genuinely want to. A, a good example of that that we'll get to soon is one of the first places you pass in the school grounds is that dueling hall, and you don't go inside until much later in the game, and I was curious about what you would do in there for the entirety of my playthrough yeah that's like the second uh, me, screen me too. whenever you go into the school and you're like mm, i need to get through this door yeah, you can never open the door and i'm like and every time i would try like no matter where we're going I'm like maybe i can move it now giant fist on there there's a giant fist on there and you're always I wondering thought it was like a sex shop exactly well the, <laughs> that's kind of what i was gonna i was wondering am i gonna have to punch through this or is this a place where we all fist each other <laughs> Hard to say. You got to the you got to the the joke before I did, Rich. I was trying to do all this build up, and you just went straight for the punchline. <laughs> the punchline. Hey, I see it. I see it. And we're back around. Hey, we're there. Okay, let's move on. That actually was completely unintentional. But anyways, <laughs> after meandering through the forest, they run into Eok, the ghost from the beginning. He won't let them pass, as he is tasked with guarding this area by the headmistress. After being defeated, Eok allows them to pass through, but asks the crew to not judge headmistress Eldra too harshly after learning the secret. They come across a different kind of memory crystal, one full of sadness. 
the crew sees Eldril working on a garden and taking care of a special sapling. One of her friends informs Eldra that the fold has returned. They go to protect the sapling, and the fold kills all of her friends. Eldra stops the fold and traps it and the sapling in the Summerstone before it destroys the sapling. The memory ends with her burying her friends in the cemetery and taking her garden down. I thought that it was an interesting choice to leave Eldra's friends who are killed faceless. What do you think that that was supposed to symbolize, Josh? And what did you think of this section in general? Um, I loved the ruins as far as just kind of the the navigation of it was different than some of the other areas. Um, it's kind of, it, it, it made it feel like the, the whole area still had mysteries that you just don't solve. It's like, there's, there's so much that you could learn here, here but you're, you're here for a specific purpose right yeah. now. So it hardly matters. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think they did that really well. Um, but then specifically to the, you know, the, the memories of, of the fold, you know, uh, and Eldra dealing with that. I, I don't think, I, I didn't really think the, you know, the lack of faces was a specific thing because they'd kind of, they'd done that a bit with some of the other characters that you don't know um, in some of the other cutscenes. So I didn't really think um, put, put much. a lot more meaning with it um it is it feels different here though because they have more dialogue compared to uh a lot Those, of the other ones where it's yeah, just characters. like oh just it's just a background character um that's fair so you kind of feel like it's less about the friends but more about how how Aildra reacts to her friends being killed yeah, it's, I, it's I more think about so. that that centrally focusing your thoughts on what's happening with Eldra. I think so. I think it may have been just to kind of yeah, just like to focus your attention more than anything. Because if these characters are heavily designed, you're going to be going in there thinking about who are these people and why do they matter. But in terms of the story that the developers trying to tell here, those people don't matter. It matters that they fell and that that is a guilt uh, Eldra is carrying around. But beyond that, it doesn't. Well, it, yeah, I feel like they're trying to tread a line here because the characters don't have faces, but they all have unique designs compared to like some of the nondescript students that you mm-hmm. go past and whatnot. Um, in other in other memories, uh, all of them are unique as far as the role they're obviously playing in in the cutscene. Like, okay, this this person's a, you know. Uh, you know an x mage and this was a y mage like that you can tell they've got they've got a different personality for each of them but it's not important to you it's that it's important to eldra and they Um, want you to focus on her mm -hmm. that's fair i you know i saw that i was like i'm I'm pretty sure that's the point there but I, i actually admittedly asked kind of a loaded question because i didn't know if there's anything i was kind of missing and i wanted to pose it to you guys in genuine i don't have this information i kind of can want someone to know help you guys me think. yeah exactly that's it's one of those it sounds exactly. rhetorical 
But I'm going to wait until but, everyone no. else speaks until I give my own opinions on it. But no, please, I really don't understand. <laughs> no, those are my favorite sort of questions. What happened yeah. there with that question? Mm-hmm. Hey, well, I, just, that I just wanted knowledge. What kind I of just wanted knowledge, and I figured you guys are both smarter than me and would answer the question. <laughs> it's how it works. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. no, it's just it's the glasses. We, we're yeah. really good at milking them. Yeah, no, that's why we branded ourselves as the smart guys that's at Sword Chomp, and you suckers are falling for it. Mm-hmm. I have a degree in Stop. English. That's a language you all speak, you idiots. <laughs> Freaking nerds. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, let's let's hop back <laughs> into the story. Get a degree off in something mil- you learned when you were three. Off milking glasses. <laughs> yes. yes. The crew I've got a BA in walking. <laughs> I've got a master's in uh, jump roping. I have a PhD in crawling. <laughs> Wood. The crew is back in the school grounds and they attempt to go into the archives, but it is blocked by a massive wall. They go to find Radagund in the dueling grounds to have her remove the wall. They navigate through the grounds and find the strong professor. Ima informs Radagund that what is happening to the school has likely been caused by Eldra. They inform her of all of the information that they have to date. Radagund suggests that they remove Eldra from her position and put Ima in the position as headmistress in the future. Radagund was appointed the successor after Eldra. Once they remove Eldra, Radagund will right the ship and pass the position over to Ima. Radagund and the crew duel to see if they're strong enough to take on Eldra. She is impressed with their power and goes with them to help take down the wall outside of the archives. I think this is the only part of the story that I felt was kind of weak, to be honest with you. It felt a little rushed that Aima was suggested for being thrust into the headmistress position on account of she's still a seventh-year student and maybe an associate professor. But it just felt it, it felt a little bit off to me. Well, Did you guys feel that this is the only glaring... Go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, like, this will kind of feed into what I see was going to be your question anyway. But, like, isn't the implication that, like, uh, Ima at that point would be sort of uh, in the position that other professor is in now? Like, they will one day be the headmistress? That's the implication I got. Yeah, you know, there's... Like, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. I kind of felt like this one was more of a lore dump than a character dump. Again, they're, they're, it's it's the character of Ima, but... A lot more of it is kind of like showing how succession works in this in the weird school. world, and like it's it's kind of like all of a sudden you you stumble upon like a you know a government regulatory book, and you're like, all of a sudden there's politics to work through here. Mm-hmm. I um, mean, and that's kind of how that level of school works and whatnot. It just felt like the way I guess it was framed at the at the time because I played through it and then I actually watched it again to make this that it seemed like they were just like okay well once we get rid of uh, Eldra Ima you're going right right in I think it was what it was more being framed as was kind of what you guys are talking about Radagund is going to take over and at a certain 
certain point in the future when she does step down and it's not like two weeks into yeah. the future which well, is what it seemed like but yeah, like no, years into the future i, I think I'm it was um no i, I think it's closer shifted. to your first thought though because oh really yeah radigan obviously doesn't want the job is kind of the the characterization they they can you True. know give to her over you know all this um and they've uh again kind of going into the weird succession politics of all this you can't become the headmistress until you've picked a successor so they at at this point they kind of realize that eldra's got something going on here and needs to be removed and radigand needs to have a successor picked so eldra can be removed according to all the bylaws and 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 whatnot so it's like, hey, it's kind of it's kind of going on ma'am <laughs> yeah and so essentially the idea is like okay i've put this off because i really don't want to be headmistress like so why would i waste my time picking a successor because i don't yeah. want to be the headmistress but realizes that for this to be done by the books and get everything done you know to to fix the situation the way it needs to be um we're going to assassinate this this woman. We're going to do it correctly. <laughs> exactly. Um and so that's kind of the impression I was I was getting from here. Like it it makes sense, but it does it feels a little ham-fisted. Well, less less that than like I don't feel like we It's not that we I didn't like need the would, context, it but it's like it feels like a lot all at once. If they had that explanation that Josh just gave. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it yeah, I I think that's more what it is. It's like it's a lot of info that has not been touched upon at all previously given to you all at once in the form of like, well, we got to make this decision now and it feels like a lot. Yeah, I do. I like that's kind of where it I does. was at. Like yeah. like I understand yeah. why it's all there, but it does. It it feels like this info dump is kind of one of the info dumpiest as far as like mm-hmm. we're going to give you so much information about it, how it the school the most... runs and yeah, you need to stuff. know this for the plot to carry forward, and there's almost nothing natural about mm-hmm. the context of it. I guess it, it, it like you said, it, yeah, it's, it's not so much character stuff like the other moments that land really well. It's 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 hard to do that. I think you know, thinking back on on it after us talking about it right now, because there's no other possible place they could have really fit in kind of a lead up this occurring, right? Like there's. No, there's no, no natural that... spot for it. No, like, there's why not. Why would this have come and... up prior? There's no reason. Yeah, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if there is a perfect solution here. Maybe this is something that they wrestled with, and this is the best that they could come up with. It's not terrible. I, I just think it's, it's one it of the weakest weaker. parts of yeah. a really, really good story. So it's, it's good where the rest of the story is great to fantastic. You it's know? needed to get you to the finish line. Um, yeah. It's not yeah. the best delivery, I, but I don't I'm not any, saying I think it could be done really that much better. There's no natural point to insert same. that information. Same. 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 Yeah. yeah. The crew quickly goes to the archives. Radagoon goes to help Bax in the meantime. The crew meet an owl, and they search for Bloodwind together. They find a book talking about the sapling, and they conclude that the archives are where Safina learned everything. They also learn more about the sapling and what will happen if they don't succeed in their mission. They get further into the archives and find another memory crystal. The crew sees Rook and Safina talking together in the archives, with Safina keeping secrets from both Rook and Petronella. 
Rook says he doesn't like the secrets and breaks up with her. The owl walking with them goes into a book and then vanishes. A few seconds later, Floodwind, the massive owl, comes out of the book. After a fight with the god, Bloodwind leads them to the librarian. The librarian reveals that she has been doing research for Aeldra on how to preserve the sapling. The crew tells the librarian the story thus far of what's happened, and the librarian admits that she can't corroborate it because there are missing books and volumes. Pertesia gets angry, rants about Safina, and runs off. This causes many of the crew to get sad or frustrated and run off as well. Rook goes to comfort Petronella, and the two reconcile their falling out. Ima goes to comfort Pertesia, encouraging her to let people in. Marit comes back to the group and apologizes for blowing up. The rest of the crew reconciles and continues on their path. They go into the next room and learn that when the sapling dies, it ushers in a new season with a new wave of magic. Also, when the seasons change, people forget about the conditions of change. The sapling is not immortal and must die, or the seasons cannot change. One of the big reveals is that the conflict here is largely about nature versus man. Obviously, this has been discussed countless times in many stories, but do you guys feel like the way the story was told and the story itself made this particular story compelling enough to add to that conversation? Either one of you guys can jump in i or i actually don't. really like this explanation for kind of the in so many like in nearly every jrpg fantasy game novel whatever there is some vastly superior ancient technology that you Kill god you know, yeah that you just you know are stumbling across and you kind of get little hints of that, like I was saying with the uh, with the ruins. Um, and I think finally having an explanation for what's going on with that, instead of it just kind of being hand waved. Oh, the you know magic there of the some ancients event that ended the world, and this stuff just went away. But this this gives you a full on context of like, well, after we did this, we lost those abilities. Like, yeah. It, there's full-on context to it that makes the world seem a lot more real. Yeah, not just real, but... Realized, like, really. Like, like you just, you, you're, you're... You're seeing that this is changing. This, is this you know... Yeah, it's actively happening. This, thing, it's been this happening. thing is happening. You're, you're living through it again. It's been happening since you started the game. You just didn't have context for it. Yeah, and kind of getting the context for everything else you've, you've experienced at this point is really cool. Like, oh, that's why Marit finally has magic out of nowhere that's why um Gilda's Gilda magic has has lightning magic now like out of nowhere um giving you context for that and then also kind of giving you the thought of granted not that it matters it's you know like every thousand years or whatever but the feeling like this is going to continue people aren't going to know how all this went down again some point in the future um, kind of, it, it gives you more of a connection to that flashback, to the, to the, um, you know, why people would try to avoid this. Yeah. That's fair. 
Yeah, I I really like that they don't make man in this feel overwhelming, that it's more of that man is just kind of resisting the the natural course of the world. You know, it, it isn't like this overwhelming thing that they're just absolutely trying to stop. They're trying to use their magic, of course, but that magic is gifted to them in effect by nature. And I think that by the end, as we'll get further into that without jumping too far ahead, they kind of realize that. I like that it isn't like man is overwhelmingly powerful here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll jump forward. We'll jump forward. The crew leaves and goes to the gardens to look for Professor Everly. They find a memory crystal where the crew witnesses Eldra's and Everly's relationship. They also see Everly telling Eldra to take some time off and relax. But Eldra, feeling it is her duty to keep working hard to protect those she cares about after what happened before. They find a golem that they fight and destroy. Once defeated, Everly appears. The crew informs Everly of all of the information that they've amassed. She admits to knowing deep down what has been happening, but loving Eldra too much to stop her. She reveals Eldra's weakness in hopes of stopping what's happening. The crew must go back to, or excuse me, the crew must go to the stacks and investigate the blood Eldra uses to draw her pain away from her body. So there's a lot of parallelism used in this game. We see Gilda and the Ox... Excuse me, we see... I can't fucking talk today. We see Gilda and Eben Oxley both similar in personality, but their motivations are the divide. We see Bax and Everly protecting their loved one, but the level of protection differs. And one of the most stark examples of the parallel is both Eldra and Safina working tirelessly towards their goal, becoming almost single-track-minded, but be being in direct opposition to one another. Was this device effective in personally drawing you guys into the conflict in the story? It, I think it's effective, not necessarily in drawing you in, because I feel like you don't have the context for a lot of it until you're sort of getting to that end game. but I, I think it's really intriguing to kind of reflect on and think about it's one of those conflicts that might have been entirely avoided if both uh, Savina, Safina and Aldera had simply, like, tried to understand where the other person was coming from. Uh -huh. They might have, like, realized at the end of all of this, they kind of have the same goal, but they're just completely blinded by their understanding of the truth. Yeah, and and not, not just that, but I, I think kind of in specifically to this example so many characters in this game are just trying to avoid pain just trying to avoid getting hurt again um and end up not dealing with stuff that ends up almost destroying the world like it's it's you know dealing with stuff is lame i don't want to do it I'll yeah do it like not not directly but because of all the miscommunications all the you know all, all these characters acting in ways that, you know, are are more selfish than, you know, trying to actually address the issues going on. Um, you end up with just, you know, compounding problems um, that, you know, that ends up leading to 
you know, just even more, even more hurt than if something had been dealt yeah, with to begin. I think Gilda is the only one that I think Gilda is the only one that really confronts her own issues. Like she's like, I want to be the strongest. I've finally been gifted these powers. And then when she's not the strongest, she's very vocal about it. She's like, dude, I want to be the strongest. This is pissing me off. Why am I not the strongest? And she goes off to sulk and then try and get better. And then she comes back and she's consistent with that. I, I really like her as a character because like you guys are saying, un unlike the rest of the characters who in various ways kind of sidestep or look to just avert their gaze towards the grief that's kind of sitting right in front of them that's affecting them so much she's just right there and trying to deal with it head on uh gilda's such a cool char character and it's funny each character has their own grief and they have varying degrees to which they try and sidestep it and i think aildra is kind of the embodiment mm -hmm. of avoiding her problem and i think safina in a lot of ways is also the embodiment of sidestepping and avoiding her problem she's the habitual liar um, she's trying to do all of these things to expose someone else in hopes to avoid being exposed herself and i think that's why the conflict between eldra and safina is so powerful because they're the two biggest rep representatives of the things that they're trying to fight against yeah totally okay jumping back in the crew leaves and goes to the gardens to look for Professor Everly. They find a memory crystal where the crew witnesses Eldra's and Everly's relationship. They also see Everly telling Eldra to take some time off and relax, but Eldra, feeling it is her duty to keep working hard to protect those she cares about after what happened before. They find a golem that they fight and destroy. Once defeated, Everly appears. The crew informs Everly of all of the information that they've amassed thus far. She admits to knowing deep down but loving Eldra too much to stop her. She reveals Eldra's weakness in hope of stopping what's happening. The crew must go to the stacks and investigate the blood magic Eldra uses to draw her pain away from her body. After traversing through the deadliest challenge yet and finding the solid embodiment of Eldra's agony, they find another memory crystal. They witness Eldra and Everly talking about how she stopped Safina and her friends from destroying the school in a separate event, and how she will do whatever she must to protect the students. Then, the crew witnesses Eldra reading books and witnessing her using blood magic over time to pour her agony into a vat where it liquefies and remains. The group concludes that they must use Eldra's agony against her to stop her. Bertizia reveals that there is another way to stop Eldra, and she didn't reveal it because she thought it would be too difficult. The students leave the stacks and hear the first of many eventual earthquakes. They return to the spell tower where Eldra has locked herself up. The crew witness Bax, concluding that he must phase through Eldra's magic to get to her, but he may die in the process. Eben is concerned, and they share a tender moment before Bax goes forward. After the duo disappear, Bertizia reveals an important truth to the group. Her and Safina used to be best friends. She admits to creating the door using blood magic to the alternate dimension 
because the Snatcher stole Safina's wand and she wanted to help Safina. They went in to retrieve the wand, and upon attempting to escape, Pertesia was attacked by the unknown creature. Ima removes the spell she has cast on Pertesia, the one discussed much earlier in the game, and reveals the permanent scar and missing eye that Pertesia has. Her family came to the school to retrieve her and pull her out midway through the following year. Her family covered up the incident. When Pertesia returned, Safina had already befriended Rook and Petronella. When she witnessed Safina getting into more trouble, Pertesia made it her mission to stop Safina to prevent the other two from getting hurt as well. Pertesia also reveals that she now has PTSD from the event. The rest of the crew stand by her as they conclude that they must go back in through the alternate dimension to get into the spell tower. So one of the big reveals of the game, and it complicates many of the relationships. Pertesia gets some redemption from the other's perceptions, and Safina is cast in a more negative light, despite trying to save Ickenfell. We've talked about it here and there, but I think here's the perfect place to talk about it. Talk about how the developers constantly shift the player's perspective to continue the mystery and tell the story in a compelling way. Can you talk about the emotion that you felt during the sequence, Josh? Um, I mean, I kind of mentioned it a little bit before as far as this, this whole area is showing how in order to avoid pain, Eldra has, you know, avoided it, avoided it, lied to herself, used blood magic to completely wipe it from her memory to the point where she's essentially completely broken with reality. Um, and I feel like seeing that is kind of what makes Pratesia finally decide that it's time to rip the Band-Aid off. Um, and deal with everything. One hell of a Band-Aid. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah. Um, and like I, we mentioned, I, I mentioned before how like she just has one of my favorite character arcs and, and this, this whole section and, and seeing that play out, seeing how she's finally able to, um, kind of come to terms with, with everything going on. Um, and also how, like we mentioned before, how she, she's got an idea, how, you know, she's got an idea that's going to require her own blood magic to uh to try to get through here instead of hurting someone else because this is again this is as an alternative to just essentially collecting all that pain that Eldra has you know collected yeah just like kind of hidden from herself through blood magic in a and, literal fashion. Yeah, in a very literal fashion, and just giving all that pain back to her. And instead, Pertesia's were like, finally starts to realize that she can't do that herself, and that she'd rather she can't just run deal, with, deal with her it, own yeah. issues than, you know, try to force more pain on someone else. And, and I think that is, like, just one of my favorite character moments in the game, um, that she's kind of willing to do this and also this kind of again as far as like recontextualizing other stuff it kind of 
it makes you understand everything else that's going on with, you know, oh, oh, that's how Safina had all these, you know, hidden tunnels through the school to be able to get places. It's because she was a friend of Partizia. They Like, they did yeah. this stuff together. Um, it just, uh, it, it, this moment gives you so much context for so much that's going on with so many characters all at once and gives you within that just a, a big character changing moment in all of it. I just, I, I love this part of the game. Also, it gives you much needed context for Partesia because everything you've learned about the character at this point, like even when you're looking back to those memory crystals, like nothing about her behavior makes you think this is a person who would just be out to spoil everyone's fun. Like, Partisia isn't not that at all. And with, like, Condix, like, that makes perfect sense now. Like, because uh, Partisia and Safina were both behaving recklessly, uh, her life was basically ruined in a lot of respects, like, pushed back, and she has to deal with all this baggage now. And it, it, it's really smart. It's it, They... They tease out her character in such smart ways. Yeah. Yep. I don't really have anything else to add. I agree with you guys 100%. I love Pratisha's arc a ton. So I just, I wanted you guys to speak to it because I knew you guys would speak so much more eloquently than I can. <laughs> so you're having a rough day. <laughs> I, I am. I really am. You got to do another the podcast. People aren't going to hear this. I know. Maybe two. I, this one's going to be edited to hell because I have made so many mistakes in this episode. Just speaking, I cannot speak today. But regardless, let's press forward. We're starting to get towards the end here, guys. We're on the last, last two pages of this entire Thank God. Almost 6,000 words, 10 pages of script, and we're on the final two. We're on, on the home stretch, boys. Let's do this Pertesia thing. Op- <laughs> <laughs> Why that? Pertesia opens a fissure into the alternate dimension, and the crew go inside. They are confronted by the creature, and they stand together to defeat it. Pertesia has an emotional release as the crew help her overcome her trauma. More earthquakes start to happen, causing fissures to appear all around the school. The crew head into the spell tower to face their most difficult test yet. When they reach the top... They find Safina unconscious on a bench. The rest of the crew plans to go on without Marit while she tends to her sister. But a fissure blocks her path. Radagoon closes it and the crew starts to move on. Marit goes with the crew while Eok, suddenly appearing, elects himself to watch over Safina. The crew find Aeldra in the next room with the sapling just as Bax enters. Bax tries to tell her that they need to release the sapling, but Aeldra's agony returns to her, causing visions of the Dark Fold. Even though it's a vision, she tries to stop it, and ends up stabbing Bax with her energy. Eben witnesses this and runs to his side. Aeldra's agony overtakes her, and she attacks the crew. After the crew defeats her, she returns to normal. Everly appears and talks sense to Eldra. Gilda and Marit go to free the sapling from its magic prison, but Eben stops them, overcome with anger and grief. He takes the sapling and backs his body to the roof of the tower. 
Eldra realizes it's Eben and reveals that he is the most powerful wizard because his powers are tied to the ghost realm. Eldra fears Eben opening up a portal to the ghost world to both access his complete powers and taking the sapling inside. If he does that, he will both lose himself completely and destroy the world. They rush up to the roof and fight Eben. Eben's body transforms into multiple spirit forms as they try to stop him. They deliver the final blow, but the rift continues to get stronger. Petronella realizes that Bax is not dead and concentrates all of their energy into one strong healing spell with the help of Rook's healing rune. They bring Bax back to consciousness. He begins to talk to Eben, telling him the story of how he was initially taxed with handling Eben to make sure he didn't go out of control, but ended up falling in love with him. After hearing Bax's passionate plea, Eben regains control and closes the rift, bringing the sapling back to their world. Marit, Ima, and Gilda use their powers to remove the magic encasement, releasing the sapling. Before we do our usual mad dash to the end, I want to reflect a little bit. The moment between Bax and Eben, while cliche, is definitely one of the best parts of the game due to the emotion and heft of that moment. Rich, what moment in the game was the emotional pinnacle for you and why? Um, I think the, the Oxley Bax moment is definitely up there because like you said, it's a little bit cliche, but I really like both of those characters. Um, and I, I honestly wish there had been a little bit more of them throughout the game. Uh, that, like what we get of the two of them is really strong and really interesting, especially once you have the full context on it. Um, for me, probably what would be the, the pinnacle for me would be the moment we just talked about a few minutes ago. Um, when you sort of get the full context for Pratija and, uh, she has to deal with her trauma of the past and her, her, uh, past relationship with Safina and dealing with, uh, the PTSD and everything that happened in that sort of, uh, shadow world. Uh, like, I mean, I mean, we spoke enough on that, but for me, that's the strongest moment. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Josh? I I'm 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 about the same, but this is very close. I mm-hmm. absolutely love this boss fight um, because, again, it is um, just it, it it's Oxley completely beside himself because um, you know obviously he loved Bax back like this was you know. They, they, nothing had been said at this This was point. not a one-way road. <laughs> but yeah, but they, they obviously cared so much for each other that whenever he thought that Bax was dead, it was, you know, enough to make him, you know, want to use all of his powers. Completely become unhinged. To, to get revenge. Yeah. Um, and, and just, you know, the, the fight because of that, kind of seeing the different stages of, you know, how how he's, you know, just completely, completely beside himself with, with rage and with sadness. Um, 
and the way the fight changes because of that is really really cool um yeah and shout out to that boss fight too like it's a great even though it's boss not a fight, part yeah. of what we're talking about it was very rewarding boss fight it's very difficult but it doesn't feel insurmountable in any way shape or form it just feels like you it really feels like you are fighting somebody who is grieving and it's a great yeah. feeling it's it's such a good boss fight it it uses everything you've learned up to that point like really effectively which is kind of the most you can ask for out of an rpg of this style uh yeah like not to harp on that too much because that's not what this podcast is about but it great boss fight yeah yeah i you know i really liked um so much of story development that i think I flip flop uh, like because I I still think about this game almost on a day to day basis. Just kind of think about the story in general and some of the high points of that story. And I flip flop between the reveal of Pratesia and also this Evan and Bax moment. I I think it it depends on what's kind of going on throughout my day. Uh, That Evan and Bax moment kind of had some interesting implications for me because the. The dialogue there, and I don't want to ruin the whole thing. I think it's a much better experience. But Bax is basically talking about how Eben is always so reckless and how Bax feels like he's constantly chasing him and keeping him out of harm's way and how he thought it was so troublesome and annoying. But then he ended up growing to love that about Eben. And he concludes that even though they're putting, they're being put in these precarious situations because Eben has Luffy syndrome where he just runs off and does instead of things that basically shonen protagonist syndrome Uh yes that that's exactly where he wants to be and there's no one else he would rather be he just wants Eben to be a little bit more aware that Bax is not as invincible as Eben thinks he is and Uh think about him once in a while and there's just so so many heartfelt moments in that one sequence of events and there there's a lot of implication for real life which i'm not going to get into because we're here to break down the story not my personal life but um i think there is a there are a lot of life lessons in that one sequence of events and i think there's a lot of wisdom in that and i think that's why that that particular sequence is so effective and i loved it a lot mm-hmm. it, was, it was incredibly rewarding so let's do the mad dash guys you ready? Yes. Okay. Mm. Later, we see the school return to normal, but the land is still scarred by the various fissures from the earthquake. Marit and Safina are in Safina's room. Safina apologizes for not telling her friends about Marit. She owns up to her faults and marvels at how impressive of a human being her sister has become. Marit admits that she has become more powerful than Safina. Safina vows to be a better sister. Next, we see Pratesia enter Safina's room as the screen goes to black. The narrator tells the player that Summertide is over and Aildra has stepped down. She and Everly move to a house in the countryside. Radagund becomes the headmistress with Ima at her side. Ima opens a department to study astronomy and the seasons. Eben inducts Petronella into the coven. With the use of alchemy, they figure out a way for Eben to control his powers. 
Funded by IMA, Rook and Gilda organize an overseas research voyage. Marit acts as their guide. Safina also joins the coven, doing mysterious work. Pratija disappears, and everyone loses contact with her. In the epilogue, we see Marit, Rook, and Gilda talking outside of a building in the snow. Petronella shows up to talk with them. Gilda and Rook are planning their next voyage, but this will be their first without Marit. They leave Petronella and Marit talking to take off. Petronella tells Marit that she loves her job. Petronella also asks Marit if she's okay since her and Gilda broke up. Marit is happy as they both have feelings for other people, and there are no hard feelings between them. Petronella leaves, and Marit goes inside of the building. She enters a lounge to see Salia Snow take the stage, who is revealed to be Pertesia. After her performance, Pertesia and Marit watch Gilda's and Rook's ship take off. They catch up together, and... Well, I'm going to leave that last bit a secret. If you want to know the rest, either play the game or go watch a YouTube video to witness the awesome final interaction. Or Google it. All right, guys. We have finished my insanely long script of this wonderful game and story. All right. Were you for a dry run? Should I record you now? guys satisfied? <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> Were you guys satisfied with the conclusion? I Yeah, I, I was happy with what they did with it and that little sort of epilogue tease they give. Because, I mean, I, I appreciate it when a story can, like, subtly just kind of leave it up to your imagination what happens. But they don't they don't waste too much time in the epilogue, and they give you a nice little... You know, everybody's lives went on, they went on to do different things, and it doesn't harp on it for too long, but it gives you sort of a, a hopeful, happy ending where... It, for the most part, it seems like these people have dealt with a lot of their problems enough to kind of move on and have healthy lives. Yeah. 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 I kind of felt like before the epilogue, um, like there, we, we went through a lot really, really fast there where it, it, it gives you kind of really quick wrap ups on like almost 80 movie, eighties movie style. Like, um, <laughs> you know, um, I would have gone with like a quick, quick then. one sentence about where this person is now and, oh, and what they they've done, done the after they graduated college, um, that that sort of thing. Um, and it it felt, um, a little unrewarding for what I was expecting until ap- after the credits finish rolling and you get that little epilogue to kind of get the more like actual dialogue, like actually seeing the characters talk to each other and it felt a few scenes play out. Yeah. Yeah. And just, just having that last little bit of the characters speaking for themselves instead of just kind of a, you know, like what happened, you know, the, the wiki of where they went after, after the, you know, events of the game. Um, and that felt so much more rewarding as far as, um, like finally getting a little bit of closure as far as, again, like you said, it's it's very open ended. Like you, you feel like these characters could go on to have full lives after all of this. Um, I I would love to see an Eben and Bax spinoff where they just uh, get yeah, in the I'd, I'd enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Just, where they're basically like two magical bumbling police detectives. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, they could do anything pretty much, and I'd be happy with it with those two characters. Yeah, yeah. I I was absolutely uh, enamored with the ending. I think it's very well done. That's why I'm leaving it a bit of a mystery, so um, those listening can check it out themselves. But yeah, great ending. Absolute great oh. ending. Mm-hmm. I I love how everything wraps up. I think that it's also rare for a tactical game to have such an engrossing story. I think you guys would probably admit that as well. Would you, you guys like to see more of called Final Fantasy Tactics? <laughs> Besides that game, yeah. To break out the PSP. Would you to guys play like to see? Soon. <laughs> would you guys like to see more of this? The tactics genre in general. I would like to, and, and to be fair, we are getting some of these. I'm not gonna pretend like they don't exist. Um, I really like tactical RPGs. Uh, I am very encouraged to see more small indie studios uh, tackling these sort of, you know, 15, 20 hour uh, tactics RPGs because it's a really fun genre and anyone who's willing to put in the effort to tell a story like this in one of those, like, that's a big fucking thumbs up from me. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I really like how this is a tactics light sort of affair um, yeah which is really really genius. distilled down to the parts of it that work um and it just like you said a a time investment wise it is right right on the mark where it should be um but then for like each battle as well uh it just it feels great um just yeah re- really well timed um they have an option to just give you like an instant victory as one of like the accessibility features in there to go through the game. If you are really, really not a tactics person, uh, which I mean, I would suggest just because I love the story so much. If, if you're, you know, that sort of person, but also I love the combat in this game. So I, I suggest you give it a shot and, and see how it sits with you. Um, Agreed. Yeah, what what I what I love is that the story is so good that the combat kind of feels secondary in some ways. Um, but the combat's still so strong. This um, the, the combat is really strong, and the thing I like is a lot of tactics games, a lot of tactics RPGs. There's a level of grinding involved with doing those kind of games, and it's kind of for the sake of just showcasing the tactics and what you have to do um but i like that this game doesn't really harp on that yeah there's not really it's not the main focus so if you don't want to do the ta- tactics combat you don't have to do it as and long as you're like, not you're avoiding not in combat you'll be fine it, exactly and you're not even really yeah really encouraged to grinding either which is cool yeah like like I, I mentioned before how once you kill an enemy they're they're gone until you leave and come back and the game is balanced around that it's it's kind of balanced around the idea of you'll fight each of these enemies once and then kind of move on. So unless you're intentionally avoiding fights, you'll always be right at the right level and combat feels really good because they, they don't have to worry about whether you're overly grinding or not to, 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 you know, to pace these things. And because of that, I think the combat feels just really tight throughout the whole game, which is, which is kind of an issue in a lot of tactics games. Um, whether or not you're completely overpowered or not. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair. I think 
think that's really fair um overall i would like this more kind of story in tactics rpgs granted rpgs kind of implied that the story is there just tactics games in general as long as it's not kind of thrown in like obviously um a lot of us here are big buffs of or big fire emblem buffs um some of those stories always just feel kind of like and eh, whatever like they're they're second rate to the combat itself where this was kind of flipped on its head there and and i don't want story for the sake of story i want if they're gonna throw a story in then i want it to be like this where it's clear that the story is the main focal point and it's as good if not better than the combat itself otherwise do something like in to the where it the story is kind of not it, there's not a it's pretty thin and it it doesn't need to be anything other than thin yeah there's more lore the than story the in that. it's exactly like, kind of like we'll, we'll give you the underpinnings of why this world exists and why you're doing the stuff you're doing but there's not really much story other than that absolutely absolutely okay well let's get to the very final question you guys know what this is if you've listened to the podcast before if this is your first time maybe um at the end of the at the end of everything that we um talk about that we've played or even watched i like to do this little segment would you guys recommend this game is it worth your time and just give like a quick one to two even three sentences i'm feeling a little generous today um would you guys recommend this game yes uh as you can see in my written review over at swordchomp.com, uh, yeah, I marked this as a buy it for me. Uh, fantastic story, really tight combat, great music and visuals. Um, it's only 20 bucks. It's a cheap game uh, that you get pretty much wherever. And if you're already a Game Pass subscriber, it's on Game Pass. So you got no fucking excuse then. Go, uh, go download this right now. Get off this podcast and go download it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm right there. This is this is one of my like top recommendations for this year. Like if if you're going to play something from 2020, like this is got to be near the top of your list of something you need to experience from this year. Um for for the combat reasons like we've said, it's it's a new thing just seeing such a, you know, a different take on kind of what our, you know, our JRPG combat is supposed to look like. Um, having it be, you know, unique in that way. And, and yeah. the story is just so excellent from start to finish. Um, like, yeah, I just, I, I, I can recommend this game on so many different levels that it's, it's just, it's one that I think I could recommend to just about anybody without, really having to you know feel like it might just not be their cup of tea because i I think it works on so many different levels that's fair josh that was longer than three sentences but i'm gonna pretend that was one one massive run on just for the same Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it just speaks to how much you love the game which i appreciate i never indented so it was yeah you're going to jail. It's all good. Um, <laughs> to keep my brief, I wrote the longest script I've ever written for these podcasts for this game. Um, that should pretty much sum up how I feel about the game. Uh, but you feel like to it was expand long? upon that just a tiny bit. <laughs> yes. If you're nostalgic at all, 
uh, in terms of old, older graphics. It's got that. Combat's amazing. The story's amazing. The character develops amazing. The music is exceptional. It's worth your time, especially if you have Game Pass. It's free. It's about a 20-hour, 30-hour game, depending on if you do all the extra stuff, which there are some hidden bosses in the game, mm-hmm. um, which are very difficult. Bosses. They are excellent yeah. as well. So it's worth your time. It's worth your attention. Um, you, I guarantee you that if you get excited for our Chomp cast game of the shows this game will be mentioned somewhere in there for the categories at the end of the year and we'll leave it there uh i want to thank rich thank you for being here i want to thank josh for being here as well um i want to thank you the listeners for putting up with me stumbling over my words today i was having the worst trouble and we will be back with the next episode of chomping after dark we are going to be doing borat to the the second subsequent movie, movie film of Borat. I'm really that one. That's the one. Yeah, actually, I, I don't want to say. I don't want to say the entire movie title, but we're gonna be back with that. That um, it's gonna be hilarious. Um, it's gonna be much shorter than this, obviously. And we will catch you then. <laughs> That's true. Thank you very much for being here, and take care. And we're clear. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly.